Well, we're back again for the second episode of Unplugged for 2021. Great to catch up with Peter Searle last week on the eve of St Kilda's AFLW season beginning. And it was a terrific start with a nine-point win over the Western Bulldogs, reversing the result from round one of last year. This episode brought to you by our good friends who were on board a little bit throughout 2020 at originalugboots.com.au. We've all got our pair, Australian-made and Australian-owned, with over 30 years' experience manufacturing sheepskin Ugg boots in Australia. And you can win your very own pair of Unplugged Podcast Ugg boots. Uh, just head to the bottom of our podcast website, which hopefully by now you've all found, unplugged.captivate.com.au, and join the mailing list. It is that simple. We will pick one male and one female to win their own custom Unplugged Ugg boots uh, in about three and a half weeks' time, Sunday the 28th of February. So that website again, unplugged.captivate.com.au. Thanks to originalugboots.com.au. Uh, in a moment, uh, Chris Toche will join us to uh, reflect on the off-season, a very different off-season from a recruiting point of view uh, for the Saints uh, and how they helped to put the list together, complementing the trades with a couple of nice draft picks uh, we have sat down with Nick Del Sano in the last week or so as well, so that will be coming up on a future episode in the next couple of weeks as we continue the series that we have done with much enjoyment over the last couple of years. But the AFLW season began last week with one of the best games we've seen in the AFLW over the, the course of the journey. Uh, an entertaining nine-point win, 8-3-51 to 6-6-42, ahead of the Nathan Burke-coached Western Bulldogs. And, of course, Burke has been a guest of ours along the way. The G-Train, uh, Greiser with a couple of goals. Patriki Oscar hardly have played a better game. She was outstanding all the way through. Guthridge with a couple of goals, including the sealer in the last couple of minutes, which was really important for the team as well. But I'll, I'll welcome our panel. H, first of all, to you. It was a really pleasing start, especially to see footy back at Moorabbin with crowds and St Kilda beating the Western Bulldogs as they did, obviously, in the men's final series last year. Yeah, it's uh, just great Great to see people around the boundary at the football. I mean, you're seeing, oh, in Melbourne, that is. Obviously, we saw them up in Queensland last year. But, yeah, back in Melbourne, football fans, it's heading the right direction. We're hoping, oh, we heard, what, 75% possibility of crowds at games coming going forward. So, yeah, as long as we keep the streak of no, no cases going, we'll be fine and, yeah, get to the games. Um but yeah, great win, and so sort you sort of sitting there and thinking when they got to within three points, you're going, yeah. Last year you're sort of thinking, oh yeah, yeah. last year I don't think they pro- probably would have been rolled, mm. but you just looked at the determination they had, and that that last five minutes that was just pressure, 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 and yeah, get the one out the back, kick the gold, seal it. It, it was good, good to see, and good to get onto a winning start for the season to hopefully push further forward. Yeah, I was there on uh, for, for round one, and it was just one of those amazing atmospheres. It wasn't quite the same as round one last year for that historic night, but you know, I think there was two thousand people there or, or something like that. But it sounded like ten thousand people. There was there was very loud. It was very noisy. The, the atmosphere was amazing, and just watching those those two games, uh, the skill level and the development of our squad from last year to this year was night and day. The skill level was was incredible, and there was there was some really good to watch passages of football from defense to forward and you know look at look at that that goal from uh Kate Sheilor in the goal square that started with the contest um you know in the middle and went to a, a Kate McCarthy contest and j- the jets on on McCarthy to burst away from that contest and and deliver on the run to uh to Sheilor in the goal square it was you know champagne footy as as Dennis would have put it and it was it was just great to watch it was you know, I, I think, in my opinion, the best game of AFLW football that we've seen over the, the couple of years of that competition. Definitely the best game, I think, that we've played as a unit. Um, but, uh, yeah, really, really fun to watch and just great to see that the girls representing the, the colours in, in that manner. Well, Tony White was brilliant. Smith, very good as well. There's plenty of good stories with players coming back from injury, but I thought the defensive setup overall was was pretty sound uh, the, the Bulldogs obviously had guys like or players like Huntington and the like down there that are pretty handy players and and we saw last year when they kicked four or five in the first quarter against us with you know marking options leading up at the balls so I, I thought our defense held up pretty well and, and you're right H in it's, it's a game that we would have lost in previous years in the AFLW we didn't 
have a great record in close games last year with the exception of the Melbourne win fairly early. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really good to get that result. They certainly deserve to, to hang on and win it. Um, but, but, yeah, it was uh, it was nice to get the full stop on it because it did feel like we were going to get overrun in the last five or six minutes. But plenty of good stories out of the, uh, out of the group, which is good to see. It's good to see also, you know, we spoke last year about the improvement in goal kicking in the, in the men's team. You know, at one stage, I think in, in the third quarter, we were six six goals straight. Um, and, you know, not all of them were you know, dollies at the top of the goal square. There were some decent shots of goal there from, from 35, 40, close to the 50-metre mark, some on angles, some on the run. You know, there were, there were some some decent shots on goal there. And, and it looks like there was a, a big focus in that skill level and development in that in that skill level um, over the, the preseason because, it, like I said before, it was just night and day from from what we showed last season. Yeah, I think it looks looks like Peter's got the team very well gelled this year. They, 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 the game plan sort of looked like it worked quite well. They knew what each other were doing. They were sort of like, okay, well, this is where we're going to go to. This is where it's going to – the game's going to open up out this side. Or it's it, – they just kind of – you can see the plans in their head going, yep, okay, this this is what we want to do. It used to there used to be when you go back to like the first season, it was sort of kick, chase, kick, chase a little bit. But now you're seeing the structures, you're seeing the just the the game plans, and they're actually yeah making them work. And so it, it's becoming very tactical. And yeah, I, it was Peter's mind and the experience he's had in the AFL itself a couple of years back. I think we've got a very good coach there to lead us. Yeah, lead us a long way. And speaking of which, H, you, you asked Peter last week on this show what she was going to talk to the girls about before they ran out to the ground. She said something like, I want to tell them how inspiring they are. And I don't know if anyone who, who watched the, uh, the Inside the Game video that the club put out um, over the last day or two, but that was essentially her, her whole pregame speech was telling the girls that they are inspirations, not just to little girls around the country and to, and to footy fans, but to herself and, and to other adults and, and stuff. So... Well, a good question last week, H. <laughs> I'll take that. And I think most of us now, I mean, that one of the joys of the, the AFLW is obviously we have two St Kilda teams to, to barrack for and two St Kilda teams that are, that are striving for success at any given point in time. And, and obviously the, the most important thing without getting uh, too political about it all is that everybody gets the opportunity, if they are good enough, to, uh, to represent St Kilda one day. So that's... Fantastic, and it was a great result. A tough game this week. North Melbourne could conceivably be the best team in it. They, they absolutely smoked along last week, and they probably wasted last season, the Kangaroos. I reckon they won their first four or five, then dropped a couple late in a really tough conference. Fremantle beat them in the last round, and they missed the finals. Now, in the end, there was no final series, but they wouldn't have taken part in it if there was. So they got a very, very good list. Uh, the game sold out, I think, in 28 minutes for a Hudson Street on Sunday, which is... Remarkable, but um, yeah, that, that's a bit of an indication. We look like we're a pretty good side that, that's a chance to play finals, but we'll find out how good we are, I think, in this game against the North Melbourne side that moves the ball really, really well. So if we could roll them, then we're clearly right in it up to our ears, I would think. Well, yeah, I think but... for, aside from the two, uh, aside from the, the two-time premiers in, in Adelaide, I think North Melbourne really are the kind of the barometer when you look at their list. It's, it really is a star-studded list. They've got stars in, in women's footy on every line, and they've been built that way deliberately. You know, they went out and recruited stars from other from other clubs over the last few years. That was that was one of their goals. Um, and you, you're right, if, if we can take it up to them, then it, then it puts us in a really good position to, to kind of, you know, play on for the rest of the season. But I'm not even sure that we need to win it. I think if we can just – if we play our game and we play the sort of footy that we did – Last week, you know, we play offensive-minded. You know, we're going to keep the ball. We're going to move it quickly. We're going to find the right options and and play instinctual footy, which I think was the real one, one of the real good things to see last week. Then I think we'll give it a good shake. And, and as long as we can do that, then, you know, they're going to take a lot of confidence into the next couple of weeks too. Yeah, it's probably probably the perfect time to play North when you look at it as well. You go we're on the back of a, a, a great win and you come up against a team who is just – annihilated an opposition you've got the benchmark right in front of you second week up you can it's a nice early yardstick to see where you're at so we can get in there and yep loading all you ask is best effort possible and yeah i mean we'll see exactly where we're sitting 
for all of those that uh, did love the old old school football experience. I think it's St Kilda's first game at Arden Street since 1978 of any description. So for those that do enjoy that tradition, and St Kilda won that game with a kick after the siren, I think back in uh, 1978 as well, with about 25,000 people on the ground as the ball was kicked. Uh, um, for, my dad always tells that story back from 1978. But yeah, hopefully some Saints fans snapped up those tickets uh, before they sold out really quickly. So we know there are reduced capacities at games, but um, it's still an opportunity for some to get along. So that's the AFLW. There are plenty of AFL talking points for us to uh, reflect on the year. But before we do that, we'll get the thoughts from the inner sanctum with uh, Saints at recruiting or state recruiting manager, Chris Toche. Bit of a dream come true to be honest. I still can't believe it, but I'm so excited to be on board with the Saints. I'm just really eager to repay the faith that they've showed in me, and I can't wait to, to meet all the boys and get stuck in the training. I've done a fair bit of work with regards to my footy. It's been a big goal of mine since I was a little kid to be on an AFL list, so I'm still sort of pinching myself, you know, receiving some of the messages I did from the boys and getting the FaceTime from Rats. I was, I was like a little eight-year-old kid getting a, a Christmas present. Can't wait to hopefully run out in the Saints jumper soon. Um, so just so excited. We are looking back on this episode for originalugboots.com.au, Australian-made and Australian-owned, with over 30 years' experience manufacturing sheepskin Ugg boots in Australia. And we wouldn't have thought that late January, early February would still be Ugg boots weather, but we are getting a few of those days at the moment, uh, which has been a little frustrating. But uh, we are delighted to welcome back. We've, we've had, this is now our second two-time guest on Unplugged. The first of our two-time guests is Aaron Hamill, the second is Chris Toche, who joins us to uh, have a bit of a chat about the off-season that was, and it was a very different off-season. He is the state uh, recruiting manager for the Saints, and Chris, thanks for jumping on with us again. No, no, Darren, thanks for having me, mate, and um, yeah, I mean, great company with Sammy Hamill, he's, he's one of the greats. Yeah, you certainly are. Uh, been a year like no other in, in many respects. How's it been observing the... Uh, the talent when people haven't really been playing, certainly in Victoria anyway, I imagine it's been a lot of video and a lot of reflecting on 2019 almost. Yeah, it was a, it was a different undertaking, that's for sure. Um, very different to anything we've um, gone through in the past, obviously. Um, yeah, but as you say, it was a lot of, um, I guess, trawling back through vision from 2019 really probably all the way back to 2017, looking at under-16s um, championship games for a lot of these boys. And, um, yeah, the amount of vision we watched last year was frightening, really. Um, but it was all we had. Um, so we made the best of it. And, um, yeah, myself and Christopher Torre, we, um, you know, we felt like come draft day that we were as well prepared as we could be given the circumstances. Mate, a year and a half ago, we had James Gallagher, Jag, uh, Gags, join the, join the club as the list manager, have there been any major changes in, in the footy department or, or the scouting recruitment department um, this season, given the, the change in how footy clubs have had to be set up over the last year? Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's obviously been, um, I guess, highly documented throughout the AFL that there's been a lot of um, change um, just due to, to COVID and the impact that's had, that that's had on clubs and the soft cap and all that sort of stuff. We're, we're pretty lucky at the Saints that in recruiting anyway, that we, we ran pretty lean, um, but in saying that, you know, sadly, like, you know, there, there have been a couple of um, job losses through our department and, um, you know, we really feel for those guys. Um, it's, it's, it's a really hard one. Um, I certainly feel really fortunate and lucky to, to be able to continue on um, working at the Saints and, and hopefully, um, you know, ending up with some success on the back of all the hard work. And I, I guess the thing that... Um, that we certainly reflect on now that the department has changed a little bit is that, you know, those guys that aren't with us anymore, there is bigger part of this as, you know, as, as what we are. Now, obviously your position itself also would have probably changed through all this. So I'm assuming a lot of it's been done by correspondence and videos and sitting down at the computer rather than being in the car and going off to watch and off in the country somewhere or something like that. So yeah. what's kind of changed for yourself? Yeah, well, the, I guess the main thing was, was probably what we're doing right now, Zoom. Um, you know, usually we'd be we'd get into every single um, home and interview all the all the kids that we're considering drafting and you know, meet the family. Whereas last year, 
clearly with the restrictions, we weren't able to do that. So we um, we basically just hit up Zoom almost, you know, two or three times a week. We, we'd schedule maybe three or four interviews um, with with boys from Victoria and all across the country. And, um, yeah, it was good. It was interesting. It was a bit different. Um, I think, you know, we'll probably adopt a little bit of that moving forward um, just as a time-saving exercise. Um, but, you know, still where possible, we'd probably like to get get in there face-to-face and, and meet people um, in person. But, uh, yeah, that, that was probably the major thing that was different. Um, and then as I touched on before, just the watching vision, um, you know, rather than getting out there on the weekends and seeing it live was, was probably the, the major thing. But uh, we still had you know, some really loyal um, and incredibly hardworking part-time recruiters across the country that were helping us out. Um, last year and, and getting eyes on on players in Western Australia and South Australia. That process there of the Zoom as opposed to the home visits, did it change what you were looking for a little bit? I imagine part of the home visits is getting to know the families and all of that sort of dynamic. Did your process change when it's on the other end of a computer screen in terms of what you're asking and, and what you were looking for and, and those sorts of things? Yeah, it's a good question. I reckon... Um, I think with Zoom, maybe there's the, the possibility for um, the, the person we're interviewing to be a little bit more rehearsed. Um, and you, you probably feel, not that we're certainly one of the, you hear some wacky stories about clubs um, asking some you know, pretty funky questions of kids and, and putting them out of their comfort zone. We don't really do that too much. Um, but certainly uh, when you're face-to-face with someone, it's probably a little bit more intimidating um, than on Zoom. So yeah, we, we got some pretty polished interviews, um, that's for sure. Um, that was probably the, the biggest thing that I that I noticed was that the, the, the kids were probably a little bit more polished and, um, than, than, than usual. We had pick number 26, I think it was, after all the trades were done, the compensation picks, and then there were academy bids throughout the, the draft night as well. What was the plan going into draft night? And did you have, you when you've got picks that late, what does your what does your draft board look like? Yeah, we still we still go in with our draft board ranked from from one to say fifty. Um, so because you just never know, like clearly you you end up going into draft night knowing roughly what the top twenty players is going to look like, but there are surprises. So um, we go in and we, we we go in with our rankings, as I said, from one to fifty, and, and just tick them off. Um, you know, clearly you look at any opportunities on the night to maybe move up. Um, if there's a player there, you know, if a player that we've got ranked inside the top 10 is there still around pick 18, 19, 20, um, that's when you probably start to pick up the phone and, and make some calls uh, to see whether there's something you can do. But um, I think, you know, it was pretty well documented. We, we did probably didn't have a lot of bullets to fire on draft night with our, with our draft hand and, and probably not wanting to tamper too much with next year's draft hand. So, um, or this year's draft hand as it is now. So, yeah, we, we, were a little, we were a little bit limited with what we could do. I think Collingwood called about every team in the league. Did they call you at any point? Oh, I'm sure we spoke to them at some point. Um, yeah, they were pretty busy, weren't they? They had a yeah. um, big trade it was, period. It was a trade every, I think, every... Five minutes from then that, that night, it was yeah, crazy. Well, the, yeah, the, the frustrating thing was um, there were about three or four picks just before our pick. So we kept thinking, okay, we're going to be picking this guy now. And then, um, you know, there were, there were lots of trades done just in front of us. So it was, um, it was a little bit frustrating. But in the end, we uh, were happy with what we got. When they talk about, uh, you know, trades and things like that, and, and you're not necessarily in on those conversations, but when it comes down to, oh, we're looking at this player, we might trade a future second, we might trade this year's second, uh, do they engage you in those conversations and say, well, what does your draft board look like? How keen are you on X, Y, and Z? So therefore you might think, well, we're better off trading a future second rounder than a current second rounder because we like what's there mm. or the other way around. Is there a lot of those calls around how that works? Yeah, no, absolutely. No, we're quite involved with all that. Um, Gags is fantastic uh, in terms of his, uh, you know, open door policy and, um, you know, as a list management group, um, you know, you sort of need a whole n- a number of people having some input in it and you don't really want it resting on, on one person. So, um, yeah, Gags will definitely ask us uh, our views on, on this year's draft and, and next year's draft as well. Um, we're always working sort of one year ahead. 
um, and you know, and then we try and give him a, a rough guide on on what a particular pick might mean in terms of a player that we could bring through the door. So pick 26 and pick 45. Can you tell us a bit about Matt Allison and Tom Highmore? And was it a goal to, to go into the night looking at those kind of mid-sized key, key, uh, key size players? Yeah. No, when you've sort of got those picks, you've got to be a little bit open to anything. Um, and, you know, you, you really just want to pick good players uh, as, as, um, probably as boring as that sounds. But, um, yeah, Matt was was somebody that we thought could really complement what we've got. Um, clearly, we've got big Macs there who everyone's really excited about. I'm sure you guys are. Um, we think Matt really complements Max potentially as well. Um, Matt's got a really big engine um, and he's going to play – we think he's going to play his best footy probably a little bit higher up the ground. Um, so – that's, you know, whereas Max is probably, you know, he's going to clearly get up the ground at some stages as well, but he looks pretty dangerous close to goal. Um, so, so Matty um, will give us that uh, little bit of flexibility there. And he's still growing as well. Um, I think last check he was about 196. Um, you know, he runs, he runs like a midfielder in terms of his endurance. Um, and, you know, he's got the potential to, to possibly go back and play there as well. So, um, you know, he's pretty untapped, uh, Maddie, but, um, you know, we were really happy to pick him at, at 26. So in, in regards to Matt, obviously some people may not know that his uncle was a very good footballer for North Melbourne, Brett Allison. Yep. Um, was he someone that you maybe had a word to about him at all or did not with the re- uh, restrictions this year, didn't get a chance to do that or? Yeah, I actually don't. I know um, Brett Allison because he has worked in the talent pathway. Um, but no, we, we probably didn't reach out to Brett. I mean, being his uncle, um, I reckon he guarantee he was going to give him a pretty glowing report. So we <laughs> we tend to look for the people that might tell us something bad. Um, no, but the thing with Matty is that you, there's just uh, nothing, no one had any anything bad to say about him. He's a fantastic young man really grateful for the opportunity um, and the feedback we've gotten so far from the coaches is that he just loves to work. Um, you know, he's got a real appetite to, to get better and, um, you know, that's going to hold him in good stead. Tom Highmore, uh, we'll, we'll talk about, I guess, how you, you got to South Australia and that process a little bit later on, but you were able to watch him live a fair bit this year. South Australia played a bit of footy, not a lot of footy, a shortened season over there, but we have had a, a really good track record, as we we're discussing off air, with mature age defenders out of South Australia. Yeah, it seems to be a bit of a happy hunting ground for us. Um, so we've gone back to the well again. Um, but yeah, look, Tom's a guy that we've been watching since he's 17. Um, you know, he was part of the GWS Academy um, as a junior and played his footy in the NEFL for Canberra over many years. Um, I think he finished second in their best and fairest playing sort of senior footy as a 17-year-old. Um, he was actually quite a highly touted player as a 17-year-old, but he got glandular fever in his 18th year and, and that sort of threw him about. And, um, you know, his, his footy over a couple of years in the NEFL for Canberra has been really solid and we've been watching him. Um, maybe we lack the courage um, to pick him out of Canberra. Um, you know, it's a little in racing parlance. It's sort of you're not, not as sure on the form. Um out of there, but then to to Tom's credit, he um, he decided to take himself out of his comfort zone and, and go to South Australia, and um, you know it was a fantastic decision that he made because his footy stacked up to that level. Um, and if not for a couple of injuries, you know, I think he would have um, he would have put together a, an absolutely stellar year. Um, in the in the end, he he didn't play all the games, but the footy he did play was was excellent. So. Um, no, we're really confident that he, he's going to be able to step in and, and play some footy for us where needed. But Parko just alluded that you're able to get over to Adelaide and, and watch Tom play a bit. How did how'd that come about? Yeah, so we were obviously um, stuck here in Melbourne during the, the second lockdown. Um, and Gags had an idea. Um, maybe, one of it, maybe one of us should try and get to Adelaide. Um, I put my hand up to do it. Um, so I basically went into quarantine in Queensland with the, through the AFL. Um, 
on the same um, quarantine hub that Hannah's and, and Gresh went on. Um, so I was there for two weeks and then I went up to Noosa for three nights just to sort of see the team um, and the staff there and say good day. And then, um, and then I went to Adelaide uh, for three weekends. Uh, so I got the last two rounds of the regular season and the first weekend of the finals. So that was really, that was a fantastic opportunity. Um, it was hard being away from family, not, not so hard being away from restrictions um, and masks and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And, you know, thankfully we got a player um, out of it, <laughs> um, but you know, it, there was no guarantee that would happen, mind you, but um yeah, it kind of makes it feel like it was worthwhile now. Uh, how did how did you find the, I guess like the the first year players last year, um, found the hub. The, obviously, you knew them quite well going into the season, having spoken to them so much before the year. How how did you find they uh, found the hub and how they um, basically got through it all? Yeah, I reckon you'd get lots of different answers. Um, some guys love the hub um, because you know. You know, some guys are real footy heads and just love being around it. And then you've got some guys that really like to get away from it, to get away from footy when they get home and, and they probably didn't enjoy it as much. But um, no, the first year guys got all got through the, you know, the hub pretty well. Um, Burnsy obviously uh, played the one game over in Adelaide last year and, um, you know, he's really hit the ground running this preseason for more reports. So, um, you know, I'd be expecting that, you know, we'll see a bit more of him in the, in the senior side this year, but no, those guys all handled it really well. They were very professional with how they went about it. And um, in saying that, I'm sure everybody hopes that we don't have to go into a hundred day hub again this year. Uh, a second year player, I guess, was Max King, but a debutante, um, pretty pleasing first season really at, at AFL level for him. And, Again, an awkward one for a lifelong Saints fan to debut at Marvel in front of nobody in, in round one against North Melbourne would have been tough. But um, I would imagine it, it's fair to suggest that, that the club feels he's tracking about as well as they could have hoped. Oh, for sure. I, don't, you know, I thought he was fantastic. Um, the thing that I loved about Max last year was just his contest. And, um, you know, he probably didn't hold on to as many marks as he would have liked and um, you know, he'll, he'll catch those as he gets bigger and stronger. But, um, you know, he just rarely seemed to get beaten. Um, and, you, and you look at the success of our small forwards last year, you know, I think a fair bit of that had to do with Max and I guess the predictability um, of our guys knowing that he's going to create a contest and bring the ball to ground. Another one of our kind of second-year debutants last season was a, a midfielder in Jack Bytel, and, and I think there's a lot of Saints fans that are looking forward to seeing how Jack went in his second year of AFL 40, his third year in, in the system after that missing the first year. But obviously the, the recruitment of guys like Crouch uh, and even Higgins to go into the midfield, what does that mean for, for someone like Jack who really, when he, when he was given some time in the middle, really showed a fair bit? And, and what are we expecting out of Jack in 2021? I think the expectation of Jack is just to continue getting better. Um, you know, he made some really good strides last year and I don't know what you guys thought, but I thought he's, the few games that he played, um, you know, he certainly looked up to the level. Um, you know, I don't think that, you know, Brad Crouch coming in puts any limit on Jack. Um, I think the one thing you can see with uh, AFL footy and, and really successful teams is that you just can't have enough midfielders. So, um and, and the thing about, um, you know, mids these days as well is that you've got to be a little bit versatile and be able to do a fair, fair few different things. Um, that's probably an area for Jack to continue to improve as well. Um, and the same with Burnsy and, um, you know, and all the other guys, even, you know, Hunter Clark probably wants to play the midfield more as well. Um, but he's pretty good at halfback too. So, um, yeah, you know, I think competition for, for spots is, is healthy. You know, that's... It's what we want. Um, we're building a better list. Um, so, you know, from, from my point of view, it's exciting. And um, I, I think from what I from what I know of those guys, you know, your Burns' and Bytels and, and these types, you know, they're up for the challenge. We, we hear a couple of little whispers about other things that may happen before the season starts. Is there anything that's going to further our list before we go into the year? Is anything happening there or not yet? Yeah, we've got a few list spots available still. Um, and that, that's been by design. Obviously, Mason Woods 
training at the club at the moment. So, um, you know, he's got the opportunity to put his best foot forward and, and try and earn a spot on the list. Um, but, you know, we really want to go into this year with some flexibility um, in terms of list spots. Um, so we'll have a couple up our sleeve um, at least going into the year. And, um, you know, that way that we, we might have some, um, some scope to do something in the mid-year draft. Um, you know, if a, if a 19-year-old kid, um, you know, suddenly jumps up and looks like uh, we'd be happy to have them, then we've got that possibility to, to list somebody uh, in the middle of the year, which would be good. The James Frawley situation, was that, I mean, I think most of us who watched the semi-final against Richmond, you could feel the loss of Carlisle in that game, obviously, where he didn't play and, and Dougal Howard didn't lower his colours much over the course of the year, but Jack probably got, sorry, Tom Lynch probably got him on, on that occasion. Was was there a lot of motivation around that type of scenario where you're like, we're playing a team like Richmond that's got the two big boys. If one of our key backs are unavailable, uh, Chip's got a lot of experience. He might be, a, might be a player that in that type of situation could really help us out. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty fair. And, um, you know, obviously Rats and, and Ruffy have had a lot to do with him as well. And they know... Um, a, the calibre of player that he is and B, the calibre of person that he is. So, um, you know, clearly he's there to, to give us a, a chop out um, and, and, to, and to help the team. But I think, you know, culturally as well, you know, he's going to be really positive um, for the group from that point of view as well. But, you know, now that we're, you know, hopefully becoming a better team and, and, and started to be really competitive, I guess you yeah, you don't want to get caught out in those situations, um, and that's why we have, that's why free agency and and the trades there for I guess is to address areas that you feel like um, you might need just a little bit more depth. You, you mentioned that culture thing, and and this, going back to the, the underage kids again, but you recruit someone like like James Frawley who comes from that culture at Hawthorne of of winning and winning a lot. How much does that come into your computations and calculations when you're looking at kids? You know, before the draft as to what what junior teams have come through whether they've been you know winning teams or losing teams does that does that come into your yeah into the conversation no it's a good it's a good question yeah I, I think um, I know anyway for personally I'm um, always looking for guys that play well in big games um, and that perform under pressure so um, sometimes guys can't help that they've been in unsuccessful teams um, mm. but if you know if, if when given the opportunity to play a final or maybe a nationals game for their state, um, you know, that's when you want to see them play um, at their best and I guess relish that opportunity. Um, some guys do and some guys don't. Like um, I think back to Clark and Caulfield, um, they were guys that played well in big games. You know, Nick Caulfield had a really good championships um and not he played for the knights they weren't so successful but when he played for vic metro he played a different role almost every single game and um and always played well and, and hunter just had this will to win um in every game that he played and you know i think you know it was a final he played where he probably played his worst game of the year um he would have only had maybe 10 possessions but he had something like 18 tackles like shit he's this guy's fair income you know he's not having a good day but he's gonna make sure that he contributes in in some way do you go into this year feeling there could be a, sl a slight gap in the i guess the draft market this year coming up you got a, the top age kids pretty much haven't had their bottom age year ahead uh, behind them so yeah. they're kind of going coming in a little bit underdone do you feel it could be more older players brought into the draft this year as a, as a makeup for it? I'm uh, not too sure. I think this year's draft um, is going to be pretty good. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty excited about it. Um, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of guys that um, didn't get drafted last year um, just due to lack of um, lack of runs on the board, basically. Um, again, going back to Nick Caulfield. So as an example, if, if COVID had happened in Nick Caulfield's 18th year, he wouldn't have got drafted probably. It was he he needed that 18th year um, to play well to actually get drafted. He ended up a top 10 draft pick. Um, there's going to be guys like that this year. So they're so you've got those players, and then we think that the 
the under 18 group this year is actually a pretty strong group as well. So I think the drafts can be pretty good in terms of mature age. Yeah. I think the, um, the state leagues have started to regenerate again. Um, it sort of happens that every two or three years, there's some, you know, maybe over a couple of years, there's some really good state league players get drafted. And then maybe for a couple of years, um, there's not so much fruit on the tree, so to speak. And then it regenerates again. And I think we're sort of maybe coming into that which is good. It's the, the final one from me. I've always been curious. How much of the Saints do you actually get to see over the course of the year? I imagine under normal circumstances this year, it would have been a bit different. Or last year, it would have been a bit different. But yeah. normally, you'd be offered a local game or in South Australia or WA watching a, an under-18s kid. Yeah. I imagine you probably catch up on replays. But how many times a year do you reckon you watch them through the live? Yeah, I'll, yeah, as you say, I watch them every week, clearly, um, on the telly um, or on a replay if, if I couldn't get to it. But... Um, in terms of live, when I first started sort of six, six or seven years ago, probably only one or two times a year, we weren't very good at it, um, at getting to the games. We've gotten a lot better at it. So, um, and I think now that the teams, now that we're getting a bit better, we're probably getting some better time slots, night time slots. Um, I can sort of get to those games. So I'd say half a dozen. Um, I try to at least get to half a dozen. Um, and I, as, as you guys I'm sure we'll um, be keen to do. I'd love to get to a final. That'd be nice. <laughs> that would be nice. That would yeah. be nice. Yeah. Mate, last one for me, a bit of a cheeky one, but there was a photo of you guys just prior to the draft on, on all the Saints socials pages surrounded by Deliveroo, delivery right. bags. Yeah. What did what did you guys have for dinner? Um, what do we have for dinner? Pizza, mate. Pretty boring. <laughs> yeah, just a stock standard. Yeah. Um, yeah, just the pizzas and a few. There was some salad there as well, but um, as you can probably tell, I didn't hit the salads too much. Um, and yeah, to finish off, the formation of the new, it's Eastern States Football League, I think they're calling it. Yeah. Um, is that going to change what you do a little bit? Are you going to be watching probably maybe a little bit more of that? or? Yeah, I'm excited about it. I think, um, yeah, we watch a little bit of that. I think my portfolio will still mainly be looking at... Um, the majority of the work I do will be looking at under-18s players, but, you know, clearly with your Wilkies and Highmores and these guys, we do um, cross over um, into uh, those state league players as well. And, and now that our team, at the, like in terms of our recruiting team at the club's changed a little bit, there'll probably be a little, even more crossover into um, pro scouting and, um, and some mature age uh, watching as well, um, which is good, keeps you interested and fresh and you know you don't want to be watching the same guys every single week it's nice to mix it up a little bit Chris thank you very much I think one thing that we didn't touch on that um, I'm sure has been unfortunate for a lot of people is due to the list restructuring probably a few more guys got delisted than otherwise would have been under a normal set of circumstances but um, yeah we certainly hope that we get some normality back soon in in every sense but uh, well done on all of the, the work you guys have done putting the list together in recent years and helping this journey through to the finals that hopefully hangs around for a while but uh appreciate you jumping on for the second time no thanks guys appreciate you having me on Chris Toche there and, and a few things that we did touch on right at the end was the players out so there are a lot of players that were moved on that otherwise perhaps wouldn't have been, just to run the rule over there. As those Nathan Brown retired sort of mid-season uh, due to the family situation and, and obviously hub life. Shane Savage was pretty stiff. I think he was the last player delisted. He, he's now gone to play for Port Ferry down in the uh, Hampton League down near Warrnambool. John O'Marsh probably replaced by Sean McKernan really in that role. Uh, Logan Austin, Matt Parker a bit stiff as well. Ed Phillips certainly was stiff. Langland's probably a little stiff. Jack Mayo, who was our mid-season recruit uh, in the first of the mid-year drafts, did an ACL, which didn't help. Jack Bell and uh, also Ryan Abbott delisted. Um, and as, uh, as we were sort of discussing a little bit off there, Jack Bell was a little stiff. And Nick Hind ends up at the Bombers. And we obviously know the ins with Crouch, Higgins, McKernan, Frawley, and the two draftees, Matthew Ellison. And Tom Highmore, Nick, uh, of the delistings, which one sort of probably the, the the most unlucky you'd say, for my view anyway, probably Savage and Phillips. Yeah, I probably agree with that. I think Savage showed enough to, at the back end of, of last season to, to get maybe another year. Um, I, I certainly thought that he'd get picked up by another club and was very surprised when he, when he wasn't. Um, but yeah, Ed Phillips, I think showed a bit too. He, he kind of looked like he added a few strings to his bow during the season. Um, looked like he enjoyed the, the hub life 
as well, being up there with the boys. But yeah, it's, it's hard to tell because it seemed like John O'Marsh was was kind of one of those coaches' favourites. So I was a bit surprised when when he was let go. But obviously, the the recruitment of McKernan um, kind of you know, negates that loss. Matt Parker, I thought, you know, uh, he probably had his opportunities and, and showed bits in bits, but not enough for, for long enough to, to get another crack, especially with, you know, the, the talk of reduced lists and, and having to, to cut those those numbers down. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of those guys, they're, they're really likeable guys and, and all kind of did their part. It was hard to, hard to kind of say, well, you deserve to get cut over someone else. Um, because they all they all look like they put in the, the effort over, if not the 12 months that they were, were there in, in the case of Jack Bell, who, like you said, was stiff after just one year on the rookie list. But, you know, even even two or three years look like all those guys were, were hard workers and, and put, in the, put in the hard yards over what was a, a pretty difficult period. Yeah, the whole reduced list thing gave us the bit of the flashback to the Homer Simpson, your cut, your cut, your cut, your cut. Um, <laughs> it, it just it was really, really rough on a few players. When you, you look through some of the lists from our team and other teams, you just look at those players and go, they're, they're players who normally would not be dropped because that they, they fit the list. But his, yeah, the reduced number has just got a lot of casualties this year. But, um, yeah, Logan Austin was the one I was probably kind of most surprised about because you look at what what we were missing in that last final missing the tall defenders look austin came in as a tall defender and he didn't really get much of a chance from what i heard he was playing some not bad football but yeah it just it was a little bit of a surprise when we as i said when we're lacking what we what we were lacking that yeah he got let go pretty easily a few of the other points that obviously came out of it, uh, looking at the, the week that was too, um, building up towards uh, this particular episode, was obviously the intra-club match held last week where Sean Jaron Geary fracture a leg. Now, obviously, when reports first came through, we weren't sure if that was a 12-monther or a, an 8- to 10-weeker. It now looks closer to the, the latter, which is good. And we know Jaron Geary's a tough cookie, fractured leg, had an operation on the same day and will be running within five to six weeks. And I think that underlines what he represents but you couldn't help but think about potential you know captaincy ramifications and those sorts of things but you would imagine that he maintains his leadership role i i don't know we we spoke briefly about it last week i imagine that jaron geary is captain again this year and that maybe jack Steele and maybe one one or two other guys get kind of the joint vice captain's role um with one of them whether it's a sebros or or even steel to, to step in from round one for, for those first few weeks while while Gears is out. But I, yeah, I I imagine there'd be conversations, and, and I'm sure Gears, you know, having having spoken with him, we, we spoke to him last year as well, and and you know, knowing the type of guy that he is, club is, club always comes first for Jaron Geary. I imagine that he would be the first to to put his hand up and say, well, maybe someone else should be captain this year, but it, it'll be put up to the group as it always is. Um, I, I can't see anyone else taking that that captain's mantle. Um, from him at this point, I, I think that he's probably captain and then there's a, a group, there's probably a leadership group below him and maybe a, a rotational captaincy or something during that period that, that Gears is out. What do, what do you reckon, H? Um, oh, I, I was saying to someone, it feels like he's, like, as you say, the group's going to elect someone. I get the feeling he may say either to the group, look, I'll be, say, a mentor to someone who you want to, who you want to bring through next. He might suggest that, look, he might only have the one more year left in him as captain or whatever, but maybe they go a co-captain, him and the younger player, and just while he's out, the younger player can take that role on, but get the guidance from Gears while he's there. Um, yeah, I mean, you suggest Steele is up there as probably the favourite to take the position. Um, I mean, there's a few others that you sort of look and go, okay, yeah, they could possibly do. I mean, I, I threw up the name of... Um, Jones last year is a is an opportunity. He's the sort of in under player. He's he's always he seems to be always talking. He always seems to be um, giving. But like, he gives good direction. It seems that mm. so he's not someone who'd be out of the question as a possibility. I think someone so, like Dougal Howard as well might. His, yeah. his name possibly might get thrown yeah. up a little bit the way that he directed traffic on the ground and, and was able to kind of kind of see you know be one of those on field coaches that that we've seen over the years. Mm. 
Yeah, we, we don't yeah. we don't have a shortage. That that that's one thing we can look at and go. We're definitely not short of nominations. According to Instagram, I think Zach Jones has spent the last week or so on Jimmy Webster's farm in Tasmania or something. <laughs> by the uh, by the looks of it, anyway. But um, yeah, he's he's certainly won. Sebros has led the club uh, in the absence of Geary. Jack Steele's obviously a logical choice. Long term as well. There are there are plenty of options, which wasn't always the case. So we did speak a little bit about Mason Wood earlier with uh, with Chris uh, Dylan Robert, and we did say last week that that deserved a bit of attention, and, and certainly it does. But we know how tough he's done it, uh, Dylan Robert. And uh, speaking of leaders, he was in the leadership group for a while, but had the the, the really shocking heart situation at Kidinia Park against the Cats in 2018, which. You just see the look on the, the face of the players around him when that happened as to how scary it was. There was a fairly significant relapse in Ballarat the following year in a practice match against the Western Bulldogs after the game. Then he came back and played the preseason again in 2020 and round one. So he got back to AFL, but has taken some time away. And, and I think everybody, it probably ties in a little bit to Paddy McCartan to a degree that these matters of health and and things like that are far more important than football as much as we do live and breathe it and he's worked very hard and been a likeable player and and not finished yet by by any means because that decision is his but um, yeah I think all you can do really Nick is wish him all the very best and and hope that whatever decision he reaches is the best one for his family. Yeah absolutely and and I wonder you know I think for a lot of us last year 2020 as as a year as, as a whole I think kind of gave us better or more focused perspective on, on life and, and how important, you know, we, we treat our own lives and, and, you know, good on him for, for taking that step to kind of, you know, make sure that he looks after himself and, and, you know, he's, he's got a great family around him. We, we've heard from the club over this, this whole kind of three year period, what a, a great guy he is. And um, I know he spent time in the coach's box when, when he's been out in the past, wouldn't surprise me to see him going to coaching. Like you said, he's, he's always been seen and, and respected as a, a great leader around the footy club. Wouldn't surprise me to see him going to an off-field role, um, whether that's coaching or, or administration or something else in the future. But yeah, wish him wish him all the best because he, he was a great player for us. Um, was pretty high on on my list for you know prospective best and fairest winners, prospective next captain. You know when when Rui was still around, he he was pretty high on my list to to take that mantle. Um, and just seems like a, a really great bloke. So yeah, wish him all the best. He grew up a Frankston boy, so I reckon he probably want to stay around the area. He's, I think he's sort of the Frankston area through and through. Um, believe like believe he's still down here. So, um, yeah, I think he's wanting to stay around this area. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, H? <laughs> Depends oh, who you ask, I guess. I'm not from Frankston, so. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, he grew up in the area, so I, I believe he's – yeah, in a whole family still down all this way and everything. So, um, yeah, I, if there's a role at the club, he'd definitely be someone that they'd like to hold on to, I believe. Speaking of uh, Frankston boys, we're doing a topic on SEN this week around uh, players that aren't in the Hall of Fame that probably should be. And we've had two of them as guests on our show and one that we'd obviously like to have. Tony Lockett, sorry, uh, Stuart Lowe and, and Nathan Burke aren't in the Hall of Fame and neither is Nicky Winmar. Um which is interesting. Obviously, if you look at the, the big group from, from that particular era and a couple of them from down that Frankston part of the world, but that's sort of digressing a little bit. Um, in terms of the topic, so we've spoken a, a bit about um, Geary and, and, and a few others as well, and, and Dylan Robert. And, um, hardest fixture in the AFL, I think, yeah, we, we've probably had a lot of private conversations around that matter. It's not just the obvious where... You play Port twice and West Coast twice and Geelong twice and Richmond twice, but you've got Brisbane once and it's at the Gabba. You've got the Giants once and it's in Sydney. You've got Geelong at Cadinia Park as well. So not just a second meeting at the MCG or, or Marvel, it's actually at Cadinia Park. So that's a little bit frustrating, but we do know that, you know, Port Adelaide is never going to get the hardest draw because they have to play Adelaide twice because that's the way the fixture works. And West Coast have to play Fremantle twice and, Richmond have to play Carlton in round one, which means they'll probably get them again. And I guess little old St Kilda, we don't have these marquee type things. So we end up drawing the shortest straw all the time when it comes around. But you've got to see it as an opportunity. I mean, you look at that first three games, Giants, Demons, Bombers. We've got to find a way to, to try to win at least two and, and hopefully all three of those games uh, to set ourselves up 
And then if he could knock on, I think we play West Coast and Richmond in consecutive games. So if you can aim to split those 50-50 both at Docklands, then, uh, yeah, we can we can set ourselves up fairly early, hopefully. Yeah, so we say, when you say we got the single games harder draw, as you're saying, going at the Brisbane once, Adelaide once, um, that's where we got to yeah, look Adelaide, at the draw. Adelaide's Darwin, I think, or something like that. Yeah, oh, well, like Port Adelaide, I mean, going there once. and Yeah, um, but, but I mean, even Adelaide, like, it's not really a home. Yeah, like, yeah. We should beat them, but it's not even at Marvel. So. Um, but that's where we got to – I think we've got – I can't remember how many games it ends up being at Marvel. That's where we've got to look and go, okay, well, we've got the opportunity. We've got that many games at Marvel. We've got to make the most of those ones. I that's, think it's that's, 13, so we could go 9 and 4 at Marvel or something like that. It's like a few elsewhere, and, yeah, so yeah. basically try to make – I mean, as much as we're going to these other teams' home ground, could take advantage of the home games we do have and the away home games as well. Correct. Well, I mean, it, it was always going to happen, right? We had we had a pretty decent schedule last season, the way that it turned out, and we were always going to get a harder one this season, especially having played finals um, and, and shown a bit last season. So that was always going to happen. It was always going to be harder than last year. It's just the way that it works. And, you know, I think that the club's been pretty public in saying that if we want to be one of the best teams in the competition, we're going to have to win these games of footy to, to prove it. Um, you know, I think we also have to realise that, you know, one one good season of footy does not mean that we're in our prime yet. And we're still, I, I still think we're probably another two years away from our, our prime kind of top four premiership contending window if things continue the way that they, we kind of started last season. So, you know... I, if we can keep developing and keep showing that we're playing good footy, we're competitive every week, that's the main thing, again, for, from my perspective. I think we're going to be ready for contending the year after, in which case, you know, hopefully after having the hardest schedule in, in the AFL next season, that we should get a bit softer the, the following year. So that's I think that's, that's all things that we've got to take into account when we look at these sort of things. But, you know, it's, it's a bit of those swings and roundabouts. And, and who knows, you know, which of those clubs that, that were you know, top four or top eight last year, some of them are going to – it's you know, natural that one or two of them are going to drop out and potentially not be as strong as they were last year. So you, you never know. It, it's it's all numbers at this stage, but we'll, you've got to play it each week on its merits. Yeah, and I think it's a bit of a fallacy when you look at it too, the whole fact that, yes, we're playing we're, – we're given the hardest draw apparently, but we only play five teams that finished above us last year. The team in 18th plays 17 teams above them. So yeah, it's yeah. – it's it's one other way to look at it going well there's only five teams better than us we have to come up against yeah and it's hard to ever classify so richmond's draw is the hardest because they play everyone that's below them so the, the draw is never going to be judged that way but yeah i mean there's there's 22 games we've got to win probably 13 of them and and use that as a starting point and and work through it um a couple of other things as well we'll jump into some listener questions the champion data rankings are always interesting i mean I, I, they kind of lose a bit of credibility sometimes in that for example, at Port Adelaide, Stephen Motlock's rated as elite, but Travis Boak is not. And Travis Boak's five times better than, than Stephen Motlock because a lot of it's based on statistics, based on position. But we had was Jack Steele and... Dan Butler. Dan Butler, Dan Butler which fair enough. But, um, yeah, you could argue, I would argue that Ryder and Marshall are in that sort of zone. But, um, yeah, that was interesting that we did have the two during the week. Listen to questions. We touched on quite a few last week and... A lot of them have been sort of readdressed a bit today. Daniel Burns asking about Mason Wood and um, the, the Paddy McCartan conversation. Um, spoken about Seb Ross a little bit and Shay Williams around leadership. You can follow us on Twitter and, and Facebook and Instagram if you want to send some of those through. But one from Coach Noodles that we didn't get to last week. Which player do you think can make the biggest leap this year, H? Uh, is there one that you think can take a, a big step forward or even a guy that, underachieved that, that might be able to bounce up again? Well, coming back, um, I think Gresham can take another step again. He, he's He's got a bit more support out there this year, so he can move into the midfield and Higgins goes down forward. He moves down forward and um, Hunter Clark moves into the midfield and he's got the support down and then crumbing the forward line with Higgins or whoever's there. So it, it, I think he can confuse a lot of opponents he can play one position and then all of a sudden he's playing another position and just yeah he'll he'll be able to i guess break out in different points against different teams and you just use i guess the the ability to play multiple positions so i think i think he can 
I mean, we saw what he could do before he got injured and the difference it made to the team when he wasn't there. So I, I think he can carry us again a bit more. And um, But as we're stepping up, I, I can I would like to see Marshall take the lead, become number one ruck. Just see, just see the transition from Ryder to Marshall, and by the end of the year, he's the number one. I mean, Ryder carried us a bit last year in that position, so if he can, yeah, get that change up, I think I think that takes us a long way. Gresham, Gresham's a really interesting one. I I agree with you. Uh, I don't think we've we've even really scraped the surface of, of how good this bloke can be. He's he's shown us glimpses and and little bits and pieces. And, and I think we've all been wowed at, at some of those things and his, his pace coming out of tackles, the, the way he has an ability to get around the ball in the clinches and, and kind of get out of that too in, in those tough, tough spots. And you're right, actually, coming to this season, he's going to have a lot more midfield support in terms of big big bodies and, and some of those broad shoulders to kind of sit around, sit off the back of it and get around the backer packs. But I think he'll always be kind of a tough nut hard at it. So I, I don't think he'll lose that part of the game, even with guys like Zach Jones and and Crouch and Steele and, and those guys around the ball. I think we'll, we'll still see more of that, but I think we'll be able to see him be more of that versatile, uh, you know, midfield, half forward, wingman um, that, that we've heard is going to be really important at, at our club moving forward. And, and Chris alluded to it earlier in terms of the versatility, you know, is what we're looking for out of our midfielders and, and it's interesting you know we talk about the the um, champion data elite player list stats insider has jade gresham as the, the second highest ranked saint in the afl at, at number 41 um stats insider saying we've got we've got five top 100 players in the competition uh, from two the previous year which is just another indication of, of kind of how our list has developed and bradley hill isn't in the top 100 players in the AFL, according to, to Stats yeah. Insider. And, and he's a big one. I think that, that, you know, talk about big improvers. I think we're going to see a big improvement from, from Brad Hill. We go back to longer quarters, back to the the the, um, the covered stadium at, at Marvel. And I think we're going to see some some really solid Brad Hill football this season. And I'm excited to see that. Right on. And, yeah, I think um, in order to improve, you need guys to come from outside of your best 22 into your best 22 through natural growth in the list. We saw that from the likes of Patton and Caulfield last year. I'm hoping that Jack Vitell can be that player this year that takes that step in. And, and a guy that certainly wasn't bad. He had an okay year, but I think he can find another level again with longer quarters and uh, the, the Marvel-like situation. And that's Tim Membry, I think, can, can have a bigger year than he produced. He played some good footy and, and certainly finished the year all right, but I think there's more uh, within Tim Membry that we, you know, he can be a 45 goal a year type player uh, when he's at his very best, complementing Max King in that lineup. So that'll probably bring us to an end for this week. As we've said, Nicky Dell, not all that uh, far away. We've already recorded that one, so that'll be in the can in coming weeks. Big thank you to Chris for joining us uh, earlier on in the piece. Good luck to the girls at Arden Street on Sunday against the Kangaroos. And a reminder also that you can win your very own pair of Unplugged podcast Ugg boots. Just head to the bottom of our podcast website at unplugged.captivate.com.au. Join the mailing list and we'll pick one male and one female to win their own custom Unplugged Ugg boots on Sunday, the 28th of February. So check all the socials for that, unplugged.captivate.com.au. Thanks to originalugboots.com.au, Australian made and Australian owned with over 30 years experience manufacturing sheepskin Ugg boots in Australia, we'll catch you again soon. We'll put it to a dangerous spot. Coming across Guttridge, it'll sit and bounce, and this will seal the game for the Saints. And they'll win the opener in 2021. To too good. It's been a tough 24 hours here at Moorabbin. That Exxon did her knee at training on Wednesday night. Jaron Geary fractured his tibula earlier today. Spirits have been down but not for long because the Saints marching in, celebrating their first win of 2021.